Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. I've been introduced accurately. And it's lovely for me to be here this morning. I just sense the presence of the Lord, and it's beautiful to be. You know, when you go to your own church, you take certain things for granted, right? Don't take for granted that the presence of the Lord is there every week. It's beautiful. Now, I had a phone conversation with Anne earlier on in the week, and uh, she said, David, you've not been to speak in Whitburn before, have you? And I said, well, I have, actually. She said, when was that? I said, well, and then I tried to calculate. I said, well, it must have been between 25 and 30 years ago. Now, bearing in mind that I'd never met Anne, she's probably thinking, how old is this guy that Stevie's got to come and share? So I have been here. If you were here 25 or 30 years ago, you can come and see me afterwards and tell me if you remember what I preached on. Because <laughs> I can't remember. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've heard about the, the young man, the young preacher. He got saved and he got into God's word and he was really excited about God's word and he loved it. And he wanted to become... Uh, he wanted to become a preacher, so he was developing his skills, getting into the Word. And in his own, he was in a fairly small church, and he got to preach there from time to time. And he was liking it, and he was getting invited out to one or two other local churches, and he was feeling, yeah. And then one of the churches from the big city invited him to go and preach. And he thought, oh, this could be my big break. This could be the launch of my ministry. So he prayed and he prepared hard and he went along to that church on the Sunday morning. Preached his heart out. And I'm just looking at you and facial expressions don't tell everything. <laughs> Sometimes when you're preaching, you don't know whether the people are really with you or not. So it's okay to say amen. And he's, and he's, and he's not sure how he's done. But he, and he's done his best. He's poured his heart out and he sits down. And they're, they're having another song. He assumes it's the closing hymn. And one of the elders comes up to him and says, have you got another word, brother, that you could share with us? And he thinks, another word? He says, twice in one service? I've never heard of that before. The elder said to him, brother, in this church, we know we know if someone is preaching under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they're not, we'd like to give them a second chance. <laughs> so I'm getting my second chance this morning, 25 years on. Thank you for that. Well, something else. Um, I also got a message from Stevie before he went away. And now, of course, you see that I've got a dilemma. I don't know if Stevie came back early from holiday because he was so excited to hear me preach or because he thought, I better just be there just in case this guy's totally off the rails. <laughs> Let me tell you what he wrote to me because it's significant for what I'm going to share this morning. <laughs> he said... He's telling me about, about the background and such. It was very good. Not, not everybody sends you clear instructions you do this, Stevie. It was fantastic. 
And he's talking about, he says, this has been my theme. In 2023, we need to go deeper in the Word, depend more on the Holy Spirit, and develop our prayer life. Deeper in the Word, depend more on the Holy Spirit, and develop our prayer life. I'm not looking at Steve, Pastor Stevie and Mary. I'm looking at the rest of it. Do you recognize that? Is that what's been happening in recent weeks? Good, so he wasn't just making it up. What I suspect Stevie didn't know was that last roughly October, now after post-COVID, we got back into church on a Sunday pretty quickly, and we started, we launched our, we've got two prayer meetings in the week, and we launched them, and we were getting back into things pretty quickly, but we hadn't actually got back into having home groups or life groups or Bible study or anything like that. And Philip, my son, as Anne explained to you, um, Philip is now pastoring the church that I used to pastor, and I'm still there. And Philip said, Dad, how would you like to do a Bible study series? I said, I'd like to do that. Yeah, okay. This was back in about October time. So we started doing our Bible studies. And I felt that what I wanted it to be on was going deeper. So since October, we've been doing a Bible study going deeper. And I'll tell you why that was so much on my heart. Um... When, when I was a, when I, I grew up in a, in a, a church-going home. I went to Sunday school, I went to Bible class, I went to church, and I went to university, and I was invited along from, by some guys that knew me to the Christian Union, and I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. Been, having been in church virtually all of my life, I never heard the gospel. I had a collection of Bibles at home for perfect attendance at Sunday school or Bible class or regular attendance at church, and I had never heard the gospel presented clearly. And that night when I heard the gospel, the evangelist was saying, he said a lot actually, which really challenged me, and he spoke about a personal relationship with Jesus. And I believed there was a God and I tried to lead a clean life, a good life, but I knew when he said that, I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the next night, I got down on my knees and I surrendered my life to Jesus and have been walking in a personal relationship with him since. And that was well over 50 years ago. A relationship. Now think about natural relationships. In the natural, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, friends. Relationships are good. I think that's why, to be honest, I think that's one of the major reasons God created and made us in the first place to have relationship with. Think about it. He made Adam and Eve, and the Bible tells us he's to meet with him in the cool of the day and fellowship with them. And he told them to multiply and fill the earth and sadly they disobeyed him on certain matters and they fell into sin and the world was corrupted ever since but he still wanted relationship and he made a way his plan of salvation was for the way back to so that we could have relationship with him but relationships can end either because we fall out with people or because they move to a different part of the country or a different part of the world and relationships can end or they can grow Still, if you're sitting next to your spouse, turn to them and say, let's not let our relationship ever become stale. 
Not get many married couples here this morning. Or they can stay fresh and vibrant and brilliant. And that is what God wants for our marriages, for our relationships, for our relationships with one another as brothers in Christ, and for our relationship with him. And having you know, reached the age I'm at and having pastored for a good number of years, I was conscious of the fact that there are so many people who seem not to be moving on in the relationship with God. They'd maybe been Christians for 5, 10, 20 years, but they seem to have hit a glass ceiling and got stuck. That's leaving aside the people who had been coming to the church over various years. They'd got saved, they'd been baptized, they made a profession of faith, and 5, 10, 20 years on, they were nowhere to be seen. The relationship needs to be kept alive. So I want to think this morning about us going deeper in our relationship with Jesus. And I want to start by asking this this question. What do we see as the purpose of salvation? Now think about that. If you're here this morning, I'm assuming you're a believer and that you have a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, in the past, there was a time when you got saved. So what do you think is the purpose of that salvation, that new birth? Because I suppose at the beginning, we maybe think of it, well, I'm saved from death, from hell, from eternal damnation. That's what we're saved from, right? And if we've got that attitude, and that continues to be our attitude to what it's all about, what the Christian life is all about, then what we do is, is, you know, the fact that I've got Jesus in my heart or that I was baptized or whatever, that can become my kind of get out of jail free card. I know that when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus, which is good and it's true. But what am I supposed to be doing until the day I go to be with Jesus. And one of the dangers uh, as I reflect and as I watch and as I observe is what can happen is that we can get our life cleaned up. We can uh, get, the, get the worst sins out of, the, out of the way. The most blatant ones are gone. But we can still continue to live pretty much the same as people in the world as good, nice unbelievers in the world. Just live clean lives, but with the same dreams, the same aims, the same ambitions. Get a nice job, get a promotion, get a good income, get a nice house, get a nice car, have nice kids, and live happily ever after. That is what the world, by and large, lives for. And we can end up thinking that's what it's all about. Now, believe me, there's nothing wrong with getting a nice job, a nice income, a nice house, a nice car, and nice kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're doing there is we're thinking about it from our perspective. Let's think about it from God's perspective. He wanted to have fellowship with us in the first place, and that fellowship with him is restored, and therefore he becomes the number one feature of our life. And I put it to you that the purpose in you and me becoming a Christian is to become more and more like Jesus. 
And that's going to happen by going deeper and deeper into a relationship with him. It's going to, and it's becoming more and more like Jesus. And here, this is important. It's about fulfilling his plans for my life. His plans. And I think, and I'm speaking personally, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. We become a Christian. We start serving. We start getting involved in church. We read the Bible. We go to prayer meetings. We do all that stuff. But we're still living for our plans. We've not actually had the revelation that God designed you for, from your mother's womb for his purpose. And that may or may not be mine. I can have good, like I said, good clean purposes and motives. Good job serving others, going to church, doing my role in church, but not really seeing it from God's perspective. What does God want me to do? And stop and think about this. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said to pray to the Father, your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, Hey, when I went to primary school, we said that every day before class. When I went to high school, we said that in assembly every day. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't think that happens in too many schools nowadays, but we all know the Lord's Prayer. How easy is it to say words like that? Just to say it as words. But deep, going deeper into our hearts and in our lives, am I really sincere when I say, Lord, in this situation, I want your will to be done. With everything I say and do in all my service and all my ministry, I want your kingdom to advance, not mine. I'm going to let you into a dark secret. Thirty-five years ago, I was going out to minister in Africa for the first time. And, and we were having, a, I was actually having a house meeting in the house, and there was a, a brother, a guest speaker was sharing, and my mind was away in Africa because I was so excited. And let me tell you this. My thinking was, Lord, is my ministry really going to start to take off now? And right there and then, God said to me, David, I'm not really too much interested in your ministry I just want you to go out there and love these people. Oh, wow. My ministry. What a piece of nonsense. We'll say more about that later. But it's the whole point of your kingdom come and your will be done. That's what I believe God was saying to me. David, it's not about you. It's not about your ministry. It's about you doing my will and you advancing my kingdom. And that requires a radical change of thinking from us. So how do we do that? How do we get from wherever we are to actually going deeper? Because I believe that so long as we're here on planet Earth, the Lord hasn't taken us home. We're here for his purposes, and we can go deeper. We can, we're never going to spend eternity. We'll never get to the end of God. We will be constantly going deeper. And I think what I would say is this. We need to be careful that we're not so focused on just having a nice, straightforward life without any complications. 
we, we think about it. We, I'm now, we, conscious, we don't consciously say this, but most of us, if we're honest, would recognize that we quite like our home comforts. We don't like when inconveniences come along. And, and sometimes we can even think, this can't be God when things seem to, seem to go wrong. And that is missing the point. That tongue and interpretation this morning, remember, hammer, smashing, just because God wants to disturb our peaceful little lives maybe. And we can all go through, and we all do constantly go through, challenging circumstances. And we kind of think, oh, this can't be God. Well, sometimes it is God just trying to get our attention and work in us and through us, despite the circumstances. We think, bad circumstances, nasty, let's get out of them. And God's thinking, please, just stay in the frying pan until you're well cooked and don't jump out into the fire. Because that's what happens. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. So we can't tend to just want... And listen, in the Western world, this, I mean, this comes across in the teaching. Let's have our best life now. And that implies, you know, getting all the good things that God has for us. No, let's think about what it means to serve others. Let's think about what it means to serve the Lord and to do what He wants. We need to start taking His Word seriously. And I'm going to look at some scriptures in a moment that I don't know that we always take seriously enough. And I'm speaking to myself. Please don't think I'm, I'm preaching at you as if I had it all sorted. We've all got a lot to learn in the Word. But the key thing I want, us, I want us to do this morning is to encourage us all to begin to see things more from God's perspective than from mine. We started off, since when we came onto this planet, being very, very, very selfish. Human nature, pride, it's the result of the fall. And how many of you mums can think of a time when your baby was screaming and crying in the middle of the night and you said, oh, please just give me a break. And he said, okay. And they shut up. No, it doesn't work like that because we're selfish. We want our needs met now. And we're all grown-up babies now. And we, if we're not careful, we can remain thinking very selfishly about things. Okay, let's get into some of these scriptures that I said I'd share with you. Philippians, if you've got your Bible, please use it. If not, they are going to be projected. And the first scripture I want to look at is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where the apostle Paul, well, he says that, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. We don't need to go beyond that. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, you have read that dozens of times, I'm sure. And we think of Paul as the apostle, the great man of God. Paul's one of the most amazing men of God who ever lived, and he calls himself, when he introduces himself, a servant. And if any of you know about the Greek, that word servant is doulos in the Greek, which is also the word for a slave. And in different cultures and different times in history, different concepts of what a servant is and what a slave is, whatever it is, it's something we need to think about. God didn't call me to be a big minister and have a fantastic ministry in Africa or whatever. He wanted me just to serve him. He wants each one of us who calls ourselves Christian to recognize that first and foremost, if this is true of the Apostle Paul, how much is it true of you and me? He wants us, quite simply, to be a 
servant. Okay? And as I say, some of the teachings, some of the spirit that comes across in Western Christianity, stuff that we see online, stuff that we see on the internet, that's really not the spirit that comes across that we are called first and foremost to serve. Did Jesus not say, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you need to be the servant of all? It's basic. But living it out is another matter altogether. And in, first, in, sorry, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, you need to know the background. Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter from prison. And if you and I were in no, let's not bring you into it. If I were in prison, I'd probably be more, oh, the food's rubbish, and, and I shouldn't even be here anyway. They made a mistake. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't be in this prison, and I'm going to make an appeal. And, and I hate the... I hate the guy that I've got to share a cell with. He smells bad and his, his language is awful. And, and I would be mourning about being in prison. I'd be thinking, if I could only be out there, I could be sharing the gospel and I could be doing this and I could be doing that. Okay? But God's got that hammer. And he's, he's shaping our circumstances. And Paul's learned that. He's not like me. Paul's learned it. Because it goes on to say in verse 12, and verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's seeing it from God's perspective. He's not lying in prison feeling sorry for himself and saying, oh, this is awful. Please get me out of here. Sign a petition. Do something. Bribe the guard. Get me out. He's not thinking like that. He's looking at his circumstances in prison. And prisons 2,000 years ago weren't like they are today. He's in prison and he's saying, hey, listen, don't worry. God, God's got this totally in control. It's his plan because it's actually served to advance the gospel. Now, we don't have time to go into the whole chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 1, but that's, he, he's rejoicing that people are hearing about him being imprisoned and why. And that's advancing the gospel. And down in verse... 18 of the same chapter, he actually says, if I can find it, but what does it matter? The important thing, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And that's, that's what he's rejoicing at. The fact that, no, that, oh, poor me, I'm in prison and I should have been out preaching the gospel and I was getting on so well. And No. He's celebrating the fact he's seeing it from God's point of view because God had a purpose in allowing him to go to prison. And that's because the kingdom of God's advancing and um, the, he's saying that uh, the important thing is that Jesus is preached. I think that's wonderful. Think of your circumstance, the tough thing that you're going through just now. You're maybe not in, well, you're obviously not in prison. I can see you. You're not in prison. The tough thing that you're going through right now, try to see from God's perspective. What is he doing in your heart? What is he doing in your life? What is he doing to, in the life of the other people who are going through that tough situation with you? I don't know. But it's good just to try and see it from his perspective, not ours. I want you to think about Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament. Jacob's son, Joseph. You all know the story. 
He had lots of big brothers, but he was dad's favorite. The Bible, the Bible actually says that his brothers hated him. It's a strong word, but it's in the Bible. He says that his brothers hated him because they knew he was daddy's favorite. And they were jealous of him as a result. And then when he started getting his dreams, they hated him even more because his dreams seemed to make him out as if he was making himself out to be much better than them. So they hated him. So what did they do? Going to get rid of him. Let's kill him. He's a pain in the neck. Let's just get written in there. They get the opportunity. And you know the story. They, they get hold of him. They throw him in a pit. And then when they see some traders passing by, they think, hey, well, let's not kill him. Let's sell him and make some money of it. So they sell him as a slave. And he goes off to Egypt. And he gets to Egypt. And he just gets on with life. And he's serving faithfully in, in Potiphar's house. And you know the story. He's accused of sexually abusing Potiphar's wife. Total lie, total fabrication, but it happened. So what happened? he gets thrown in prison. He's not in prison for a day or a week or a month till he comes and gets rescued. And Potiphar comes and says, oh, no, I've realized it was a lie. You, what, we, no, he's in prison for years for something that he didn't do. Years. Now, think about it. What's God's perspective in all this? He's in prison, and he could be saying, Lord, remember those dreams you gave me? What's, what's going to become of those dreams if I'm stuck in this place till the day I die? And then, you know, the, he gets favor from the jailer. He's basically running the prison. And then he helps a couple of guys who get need their dream interpreted. And he said to one of them, listen, when you're restored to, to your position before Pharaoh, don't just remember me, because I shouldn't really be here in the first place. And the guy doesn't remember. He forgets until Pharaoh has his dreams. And you know the rest of the story. He's, he's eventually released from prison. And a bit like Anne this morning, he gets freshened up. I love that part of the Bible. He gets, yeah, gets a change of clothes and stuff. He gets freshened up. Appears before Pharaoh. interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh appoints him to the second position in the whole land. Egypt was probably the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And God's man gets the number two spot under only, under only Pharaoh. And you know the story, how his brothers come down. Because they need food. They're back with, with Jacob in Canaan, and they're running out of food. So they come down to get some food, and he, he plays around with them a bit, to be honest. I'm not sure I agree with his tactics. But anyway, he does what he does. But the key thing comes later on. When they come back and he reveals who he is. Hold on, let go there. I'm not get there in my own Bible. It's Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Genesis 45, 5. They're panicking. Because they're throwing themselves at his feet. Because, like I said, he's a powerful man. He could have their heads off if he wanted. And he says to them, look at what he says. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Say that with me. God sent me ahead of you. His brothers sold him. That's his perspective. That's their perspective. 
God's perspective is, I need to get Joseph into Egypt for what I'm going to do when the famine comes. God sent me ahead of you. Can you see it? And he, Joseph's got this revelation, which is amazing. He's lived through the pain of the rejection. You know, we, we, we may be wanting to give him ministry and prayer for, for all the rejection he suffered as a kid. And he's got that already. God's revealed all that. He's got healing. He's forgiven them. And he's saying, no, you think you did it, but it was God who sent me here ahead of you. And then their dad dies, and they panic. They think, well, dad's gone now. Now, he'll get, now he, they, they still haven't seen anything from God's perspective. They're thinking, God, he'll get his own back on us now. And so if you have a look in chapter, over in chapter 50, verse 20, they, they come after dad dies, and they're, they make up a story to try and make sure that he doesn't, he doesn't uh, do anything nasty to them. And he says to them, listen to his words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Oh, man. Would you go through what he went through if you were guaranteed there were going to be many souls saved as a result. Wow. That's a challenge. You see, as, as you're going through the thing, as the hammer is coming down and crushing you, you don't, you don't know the, God's purpose. But we've got to get his perspective. Like Paul in prison, like Joseph after he's being abused, he gets God's perspective on what God is doing. Not just how, oh, what is awful for me, poor me, I didn't deserve this. God's perspective. Please, if you hear nothing else this morning, we've got to try and get God's perspective on my life, on what I'm doing, on what I'm doing to serve him, on why I'm going through this circumstance just now. And instead of moaning about it, just say, okay, Lord, I need your grace. Remember God said to Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Always. God's grace has never run out and never will. Okay. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Again, I suspect this is a, chapter, uh, a scripture you know very well. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And that's the introduction to the, introduction to the parable of the guy who built his house on the rock, and the guy who built his house on without any foundation. Talking about what we do with God's word. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, I used to think that was just for people who don't yet know Jesus. They just maybe go to church and they say some prayers when they're in church, but they don't honestly live for Jesus. They've not got a relationship with Jesus. And then I thought, well, David, why are you inventing that scenario? It doesn't say that. It just says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everybody in this room, just about, I imagine, calls him Lord. Well, he's saying to you and to me, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And you immediately protest. Oh, but I do do what he says. Well, okay, let me just run through some things. I am staggered that uh, when, I, when I think about the implication of that. God says, love your neighbor. We all know that. Do we do it? Do we love that pain in the neck neighbor that plays his music at three o'clock in the morning? 
the one that blocks our drive with his car every day and doesn't care, the one who's our boss at work and makes life hell for us because he doesn't particularly like us. Uh, it's, it's not the nice neighbor. God never said, love your nice neighbors. He said, love your neighbor. That's going deeper. When we can get the revelation that maybe that person's only hope of salvation is if I keep loving them and returning their hatred for love, their mistreatment for love. God's perspective. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said that as well. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, that's tough. When someone has really got it in for you, like Joseph's brothers had for him, praying for them, Lord, Lord, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Loving those who, now, we've unspoken about Barnabas and the work for supporting persecuted brothers and sisters. They live with that. They live with daily persecution. And they know what it is. Sometimes you read in the magazine or in the report about a woman who watched her husband being beheaded before her by Islamist militants. She says, I forgive them. Isn't that wonderful? Because she's not just seeing it from her perspective. The fact that she's been deprived of the one that she loves, the, the fact that she's been deprived of the breadwinner, the, the fact that she's been deprived of the man who's going to help her bring up their children. She sees it from God's perspective. He says, forgive them. And sometimes we don't even understand why but we don't make excuses for not forgiving people, just be, oh, sorry, not, not praying for people in this case or forgiving people. That was the other thing. I didn't say that, did I? I'm going to go. Oh, that was my next point. I get, I get really concerned when I hear a Christian say, oh, I don't know if I could forgive them that. Or I could forgive, but I could ne I'll never forget. Well, if you never forget, I don't know if you're forgiven. Jesus tells us, even in the, again built into the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if we don't really forgive our debtors, we're not really going to get much forgiveness. Listen to what Jesus actually says after he taught his disciples that prayer. He said, it's in Matthew, I, I, you won't have it, it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For, Jesus, Jesus speaking, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, how challenging is that? Are we prepared to go deep into Scriptures like that and say, I've missed it, Lord. I've been looking at it from my perspective. See, the thing is, when someone does us wrong, we've got this kind of natural sense of justice. That was wrong. That was right. So why should I, so why should I forgive the person? They were wrong. Well, I was wrong, and Jesus was right, and he forgave me. It's the same principle. But there are things like praying for those who persecute you, forgiving those who sin. But listen, what about these other ones that don't even seem to us like blatant sins? If you know Philippians, do you know the bit where it says, don't be anxious for anything? Any of us ever worry about things? See, because we've got our perspective on the scenario, we don't have God's perspective. We're in his hands. Jesus tells us, listen, what are you worried about? Look at the birds of the field. Doesn't, uh, the birds of the field. The birds of the air. The lilies in the field. 
you know, they don't worry. God looks after them. Is he not going to look after you, his precious child? Oh, let's get away from our human perspective and begin to see things from God's perspective so that we don't even, these things we don't even seem like sins, but they're contrary to what he, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's contrary to that. Okay, First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, as one of my favorite portions of Scripture. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Oh, man. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And it's hard to do that if you've not got a God perspective. If you're looking at, well, why have I just lost my job? Why have I just lost my, life, my wife, my husband? Why has my teenage son rebelled? You know, it's hard, but rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances because God knows the end from the beginning and he knows what he's doing. So if we can get his perspective on it, then that'll be different. Now, some people say, oh, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, here's a good starting point. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hands up this morning if you're in Christ Jesus. So it's his will for you. You say, no, I can't really mean that. Do you, do you ever do that with God's word? You can't really mean that. Rejoice always. Well, that's not the same as being happy always. You've just been bereaved or your car's just been written off, or you've ended up in hospital with two broken legs, you can't be happy, but you can rejoice because the joy of the Lord is not the same as your human natural happiness. That's something deeper and lasting. Pray continually. Oh, man. When my wife and I were young Christians, we went to this church conference. It was all the churches in the town getting together to, I don't know, to do something, to look at something. And my, and my wife quoted the scripture, pray continually. And one of the guys from one of the other churches, which shall we say wasn't maybe the most alive church in town. Pray continually. He says, my dear, how could you possibly do that? If you were driving your car and you started praying, you would drive off the road and have a crash. Because his idea of praying was with your eyes shut and your arms folded, that way, or his hands. But you see, we, we can try and make excuses why we can't do all that. Lord, you really can't mean that. Give thanks in all circumstances. Yes. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Give thanks in, like Joseph in prison. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying he said this. Maybe he did have this revelation. I don't know when he got that revelation. But by the time he came out the other end and met his brothers, he did have that revelation. Thank you, Lord. In all these, all these dire circumstances that I went through when the hammer was coming down again and again and again, I was feeling crushed. You knew what you were doing. I didn't understand it, Lord, but you did. And let me, I'm going to close now. This is lot, I'm just going to close here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul says. In his prison, in his prison, he says, I want to know Christ. Hold it. This is the Apostle Paul here. Did he not know Christ? Of course he did. He's saying, I want to know him better. I want to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. Yes, and to know the power of his resurrection. 
Well, I want to know the power of his doing. You want to know the power of his trouble is again, we're Pentecostals, charismatics. We, 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 when he says that, what do you think he means? I want to know the power of his resurrection. So that when I lay my hands on somebody, they'll go crashing down to the floor. Is that what I think the power of his resurrection? Sorry, that's not the power of his resurrection. Necessarily, anyway. What about the power to stop sinning? Is that part of the power of the resurrection? So my life will be completely renewed. And that stuff, that those habits that have been besieging me for years, the power of the resurrection helps me or gives me the victory over those. I'm not limiting it to that, but I'm saying we can get certain ideas in our head about what it is to know Christ, what it is to know the power. What about this one? I want to know the participation in his sufferings. None of us would choose suffering. Joseph would never choose what he went through. Nobody in their right mind would say, oh, I'll have that. No. But as we go through these things, we need to see that this, even the suffering, I want to be, participate in his sufferings, like our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. See, we live in a different, we live in a different world in Scotland from North Korea or Eritrea or Saudi Arabia or so many of these countries where you'll be imprisoned just for owning a Bible or for praying, or for having a home group in your house to share about Jesus, you'll be imprisoned and they'll lock away, they'll throw away the key, and you won't know. They are participating in his sufferings because they've got the revelation that this is what we're called to be servants, no matter what that might bring me. Let me end by reading. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. I don't think it will go up there. Isaiah. My, my, just over six years ago, the Lord took my wife home. I was devastated. I was crushed. I was hurting. I, and I looked at Isaiah 53, verse 10. It's talking about what's called the suffering servant. It's, it's prophetic of Jesus. It's talking about what Jesus is going to do for us when he comes. And Isaiah 53 verse 10 says this, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Please write that on your mind and your heart this morning. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. He's talking about Jesus. It was the Lord's will. And that hit me like a brick when I got the revelation. It was the Lord's will to crush Jesus and cause him to suffer. Why? Because if he hadn't crushed Jesus and caused him to suffer, you and I were going to a Christless eternity. There was no other way that we could be saved. And again, our natural thinking, our natural justice, our natural feelings of what's right and what's wrong can tend to overwhelm us and overtake. No. It was his God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And if that's what it was for Jesus, why should it be any different for you and me that God would allow us or even cause us to pass through suffering so that his kingdom could advance and his will could be done?
That's the challenge. Going deeper requires us to see things from God's perspective, not just ours. And it requires us to take his word, word seriously and go more, more deeply into his word if we want to fulfill the plans that he has for our life. And he has a plan for every single one of us. I'd like to pray. Can, you, can I just ask you to stand? If you can, obviously if you can't, don't. But if you can stand, please do. And I'm going to pray for myself and for all of us that we'd go deeper. So, if you don't want to go deeper, I just invite you to take your seat again. There's no shame, there's no nothing, but I'm, I'm praying for those of us who want to go deeper into him. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you that I'm in this place this morning with brothers and sisters who also love you. And they want to be part of what you're doing in this generation. They want to be, they want to see your kingdom come and they want to do your will. So we together we say to you this morning, Lord, enable us to see things from your perspective. And if we can't see them from your perspective, enable us just to trust you that you know what you're doing despite the circumstances until we get the revelation of what you're doing as Joseph did one day. Lord, grant us that we don't moan and complain and groan and try and jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Lord, grant us the grace to go deeper into you, to go deeper into your word, recognizing that you're a God of love, and that you're a God who is kind and who cares for us. And you have a specific plan for each one of us. Lord, we say to you this morning, we embrace the plan that you have for my life, whatever it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please be seated. Thank you, David. That was a, a very challenging word today. Um, and you did say, if you forget everything else, remember this, get God's perspective. And uh, that's the bottom line, is that we get God's perspective on the life that we're living. The life that we live day by day, and getting God's perspective. I would also maybe add that, you know, when you know the plans and purposes of God for your life, it helps you to stick through the difficult times so you know that God's called you to where you are and to the circumstances that you're in. And so I just want to pray for you, David, and for the church um, out in Dalkeith, uh, being there to, to share with you guys, and it was a wonderful time. And I do think we have a lot in common as churches, and it's just amazing that you're here today to share your heart. So thank you. Um, Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you're at work in the world, Father, regardless of how things appear to us. Lord, we know that you're always at work, that your plans and purposes are being outworked for our lives, for our families, for our local churches. Father, for David, and Lord, we just pray uh, uh, your blessing on him today and his family. Lord, we pray that you meet every need which they have. Lord, whether it's emotional, physical, financial, Father, uh, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you meet every need. Father, we pray for the church there, that you bless it and that you cause it to increase in number and to go deeper into the things that you have and the plans and purposes for them as a fellowship in that town. 
And Lord, we pray that many people would be added to the church there in Jesus' name and for your glory. And we pray the same here. Father, that many would be added to the church for your glory. And so, Lord, we just seek you and we keep ourselves uh, focused on, on, on who you are and what you're doing. And, Father, we pray above everything else, Father, help us to just get your perspective. Lord, we might need to change your position slightly to get a different perspective. But, Lord, help us to just be changed, to be transformed through the renewing of our minds that we might have your perspective in all the things that we see. So, Father, thank you for today we thank you for all that you're doing in this place and lord for every family that's represented here lord we pray blessing we pray wholeness lord we pray your provision and so lord lead us all out into this week and all that it has for us the challenges and father all the things which you want to do in our lives lord may we just grasp those things as they're happening in jesus name we ask amen amen lord bless you and have a fantastic week ahead